Take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning, if you would please, to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. I want us to look this morning at the subject matter, a, a God for the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good times, the bad times, and the ugly times. And we'll begin in verse 1. Of chapter 46, the the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that as we come before you today, that you are a mighty God and you are a strong tower. We thank you, God, for being a shelter to your people. I think of Isaiah 9, 6 that says, Your name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Lord, you're that and more. And we thank you for that. And Lord, while you're transcendent, you're also imminent. You are with us. You are our shepherd. We thank you for your involvement in our lives and all of the mountaintops and the valleys of life. God, you're there. And Lord, we know that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so may we turn to you in all circumstances of life. May we find in you the comfort, the counsel, the wisdom, the direction that we need. And God, may we not lean upon our own understanding, but may we acknowledge you in all of our ways. God, the Bible says that once we experience you like this, then we are to to turn and, and be salt and light to those around us that they may know you too. Lord, teach us from this portion of Scripture this morning. Instruct us where our our faith and our trust needs to be. Lord, open our understanding to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I think just about all of us know the name Martin Luther. Martin Luther was one of the greatest uh, persons in all of church history. 
Most of us recognize that name, of course, because Martin Luther was one of the main reformers when the church went through the Protestant Reformation. Such a great figure. Martin Luther writes that the year 1527 was perhaps, though, the most difficult year of his entire life. You see, after 10 years, uh, 10 demanding years of leading the Reformation, a dizzy spell came over him one Sunday morning as he was preaching, and he had to stop preaching for a period of time. And then right after that, a number of other physical ailments came upon him. He suffered from, from heart problems, and he suffered from various intestinal uh, issues. At one point, Martin Luther said he even feared for his very life. And he went into a period of deep depression and discouragement. Now, while that was going on in his life, the Black Plague had come into Germany and spread into Wittenberg where Luther was. A lot of families fled. But Luther and his wife Katie remained, believing it was the will of God and it was their duty to care for the sick and dying. Luther's house was basically turned into a hospital and there Luther and Katie had to witness many people around them die. Their own one-year-old son by the name of Hans was, was on his deathbed at one point. With hardship, affliction, sickness, and death surrounding Luther on every side, Psalm 46 became the strength of his soul. In fact, as Martin Luther reflected on Psalm 46, he took pen and paper and he wrote what is today one of our best known and loved hymns. A mighty fortress is our God. Now listen to the, to, to the words of this hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sided. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. What a great hymn. Well, folks, like Martin Luther, the author of Psalm 46 found solace and refuge in God during difficult times. And as we look at this psalm together today, I want you to see that it's not just the Luthers that need to be reminded of the greatness of God. You see, as you and I go through life, we need to do so with more of a God-centered approach to life. 
Because the Bible plainly tells us as we go through life, we're going to encounter trials and tribulation. That is a part of living in a fallen world. But as we do so, we need to understand that we are not alone. God is with us and God is able to give us all of the direction and the strength that we need. Indeed, He's a refuge for His children. And that's what we learn here. He's a refuge for His children and ultimately He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to look at three things with me this morning. First of all, from verse 1, I want you to see God's identity. God's identity. Look again at what he says, how he describes God in verse 1. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Underscore all of those words. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We know that today we groan, we suffer in various ways. That's just part of the human experience. That's what it means to live in a fallen world. I think of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 when he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. We live in a world of trial and tribulation, of sin and of death. And sometimes it seems like there is unrest and suffering and tragedy all around us. And you know what some people do at a time like that? Some people feel as though they can protect themselves through wealth. If I can only accumulate enough wealth, if I can only amass enough wealth in my life and enough assets in my life, then that will be an asset that will, that will secure me from any times of trouble in life. And we know that's not true. Because the rich and the poor suffer alike. In fact, I think of what uh, Jesus uh, told that story in, in Luke chapter 12 about that guy who had a bumper crop. And he said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down all of my barns and I'm going to build bigger and better ones and put all of my goods into my new barns. And I'm going to say to myself, soul, you've got it made. You can sit back now for the rest of your life and eat, drink, and be merry." And God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul shall be required of you. And so we know that as we go through life accumulating more in life, that in and of itself is not going to protect us from necessarily having to go through trial and tribulation. Other people think by surrounding themselves with family and friends. That'll be all the needed security that they need. And it's great to surround yourself with family and friends. That's better than riches. But nonetheless, family and friends are temporal just like we are. And there's no guarantee that they'll be there either. 
And so I want you to notice where this psalmist begins. As we start looking at this psalm today, we see that he does not begin with man. He doesn't even begin with the trouble in life that we encounter. He's going to start talking about the trouble in verse 2 and verse 3. But I want you to notice where the psalmist begins. He begins with God. He starts with God and what a great lesson that is for us because again, what do we do so often? We start with where we are or whatever we happen to be going through at the moment and I would submit to you today that that is always the wrong place to start. It's not that it doesn't matter, it does. But the place to begin is with God. God should be the lens by which we view all of life. Now folks, let's be honest. Not everything makes sense unless we believe that God has an ultimate plan. If God doesn't have an ultimate plan, then we are at the mercy of whatever happens to come along next. But we know that's not true. God does have an ultimate plan. And because He does have an ultimate plan, we need to look at life through God and what His Word says, what His will is, and what His plan is. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and we need to put our eyes on God. That's what Noah had to do. Noah wasn't called to simply focus upon the flood, but what was, Moses, uh, what was Noah to do? He was to obey the command of God and build the ark, the ark that his family and the animals could get upon, and they could be safe through the storms of life. He needed to focus on that ark because that's what God gave him to do. How about Moses? Moses didn't need to focus in on Pharaoh and how strong and powerful Pharaoh was and how mighty an army that the Egyptians had. God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to go back and I want you to confront Pharaoh, but never fear because I am going to go with you and I will go with you and I will deliver my people and when you come back to this mountain, you will worship me. So again, Moses need to focus on God. Folks, all through the Bible, the Old and New Testament alike, what do we see? We see that the saints of God always were invited to begin with God. Look at all of life through the lens of God because He is the mighty God and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to God and God is the creator and He's in charge. So look to God. Again, I'm not suggesting that's easy. But I am suggesting that's the right perspective. Think with me again about David and all the armies of Israel. All the army of Israel, when when they went out against Goliath, what did they focus upon? They focused upon the giant Goliath. And they were scared and trembling. But David came out and David focused on God and David said, Who is this Philistine that he would even mock the living God of Israel? You see, he had the right focus. 
He had the right focus in life. Folks, if we start, however, at the wrong place, if we start with all of the giants in our life, it's going to negatively affect the entire journey that we're on. You see, if it has to do with something God's led you to do, you won't do it because you'll only see the difficulty involved in it. If it has to do with the trial, you'll despair because you'll give up from the very beginning. And so again, we have to start with God. Now I want you to see how this plays out in this psalm. Look at how he describes God. He has three things to say about God and And uh, folks, it's just loaded with encouragement for you and me today. First of all, he describes God as our refuge. Now, what is a refuge? A refuge is a hiding place. A refuge is a shelter. For instance, you're out in a storm. What do you do? You run inside somewhere. You try to get out of the storm. You want to be inside in a safe location that the storm can't bring down. And as long as you're inside there, you'll be safe and protected. Well, the Bible is saying God is that refuge for His people. Now most scholars see as as the background to Psalm 46 what happened in, in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. I won't read both of those chapters uh, now, but I would invite you to go home this afternoon and study both of those chapters because it's important what's going on there. You see, in 2 Kings 18, a man by the name of Sennacherib was the king of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the world power back at their time. The Babylonians were the world power after them, but first of all, there was the Assyrians. Well, Sennacherib came up against Hezekiah and Judah. And they they trapped the people of Judah in, uh, in the city of Jerusalem. They were in the walled city, and they had them trapped inside of there. And basically, Sennacherib sent a message to Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem, I'm coming after you, I'm going to attack you, and I'm going to destroy you. He sent these messengers to to Jerusalem. And they were talking to Hezekiah's people. And Hezekiah's people said, speak to us in Aramaic. Don't speak to us in the language where everybody else can understand what's going on. Because we don't want them to be afraid. Speak to us in Aramaic. And and Sennacherib's people said, we're going to speak to you in the language of everybody. Because everybody in Jerusalem needs to know that Sennacherib is coming with his army. And we're going to destroy you. Well, Hezekiah got the word. And he went into the temple before God and got on his face before God. And he said, God, you hear what they're saying and how they're mocking you. Because Sennacherib's people had also said, look at all the other nations. Have any of the the gods of those nations been able to protect them against the Assyrians? No. And so Sennacherib said that the God of Israel isn't going to be able to protect protect you either any more than the other gods of the other nations and so Hezekiah went into the temple and said God look at what they're saying not only about us but against you that you are powerless that you're helpless that you can't do anything to save your people 
God told Hezekiah through Isaiah the prophet, you just need to sit back and trust God. Because God's going to take care of this situation. And indeed, God did. In fact, that night, the Bible says, God sent the angel of the Lord into the camp of the Assyrians. And when Sennacherib awakened the next morning, 185,000 of his troops were dead. You know what he did? He gathered up the remaining things and he tucked his tail and he ran back to Assyria. And the Bible says he went into the temple of his God there in Nineveh. And while he was in the temple of his false God there in Nineveh, Two of his sons came into the temple and they, they slayed their father with the sword and a third son took control of the throne. But the point is that God took care of his people. When they could not take care of themselves, God was the refuge, God was the shelter for his people. And the psalmist here is testifying to that point. Again, that's the historical background. They've just experienced that. They have seen the salvation of God and how God protected them from the Assyrians. And so here the psalmist is saying, God is our refuge. Now a second thing about God's identity. Notice he adds to that that God is our strength. God is our strength. There are times in life that you and I face things that that we get to the end of our rope. We have no human strength whatsoever to deal with that situation. And that's how the people of Judah were with the Assyrians. Folks, if you would have compared Hezekiah's army with Sennacherib's army, there would have been no contest. The Assyrians were easily more powerful. Again, they were the powerhouse of that day. And they were feared because they were a ruthless people. They not only went in and would conquer peoples, but I mean they would just absolutely overwhelm them and decimate them. And while they were killing them, they would also torture them. They would put skulls and skeletons around the city wall of Nineveh so that as as everybody passed by Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians, they would see the skulls and the skeletons of Assyria's Uh, enemies and they would be warned that if you attack us this is what's going to happen to you no wonder when when uh, Jonah got the call to go to Assyria to preach against Nineveh what did Jonah do he went the opposite direction he didn't want to go to the Assyrians and face them But what is the psalmist saying here? The psalmist is saying when they were trapped inside the city, they had no strength. They had no human resources on their own. There was nothing at all that they could do. What did God do? God came in and He was their strength. He was their refuge and their strength. You know, there are times when we're faced with things in life that we're no match for. We get a dreaded doctor's report. Or we get a pink slip at work. Or maybe you have a child that has gone rebellious and and everything you try to say to that child just falls on deaf ears and you can't do anything to draw them back in. 
Or maybe you have a spouse that's walked out on you and said, I'm gone and I'm not coming back. And you're looking at these circumstances in your life and you're saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the power. I don't have the strength to deal with this. In situations like that, the psalmist is saying, God is your strength. He may not take the trial away. He may not take the valley away. But he gives us what we need to walk through the valley. Amen? He sustains us. He helps his people. He becomes our wonderful counselor and our prince of peace. He's everything that we need as we face the different circumstances of life. He's there with his people. Well, he adds a third aspect to God's identity. Notice he says here at the end of verse 1, He is a present help in time of trouble. I want you to think of that, about that, a present help. Now folks, as we read the Bible, we know that God has been a past help to his people. We read those stories in the Bible. I mentioned Moses a moment ago. Remember when the children of Israel left Egypt? God was leading them out into the wilderness. And where did God lead them? God led them right up to the edge of the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh changed his mind and he sent his army and his chariots to go after the Israelites to bring them back to Egypt. Well, they got out there to the Red Sea and they thought, hmm, what kind of deliverer do the Hebrews have? Their God has led them into a trap. But what did God do? God opened the Red Sea and the children of Israel walked through on dry land when Pharaoh's chariots followed them they were drowned and destroyed God's been a past help we read that in the Bible we read in the Bible like we did in our study through the book of Revelation last year looking how in the future at the end of time how God is going to protect his people as we are persecuted by the kingdoms of this world God's going to be a future help And we say, okay, God's been a past help. God's been a future. He will be a future help. What about now? And what's the Bible say here? The Bible says God is a very present help in time of trouble. God is there. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so, folks, what is the challenge? The challenge is... As we're going through the times of life, be they, be they good, bad, or ugly, first of all, we need to look at God. We need to focus on Him. A second thing He challenges us to look at here is the believer's security. Look at verse 2. He says in verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains uh, tremble at its swelling. So what is the conclusion to verse 1? A present help in time of trouble. What's the conclusion? He says, Therefore, therefore, we will not fear now look at what he does next 
Because what he does next, he doesn't begin listing out circumstances in life that are favorable to us. You see, if he did that, we could understand from a human perspective why we wouldn't need to fear. But what's he do? He does just the opposite. He lists out some of the worst things that could ever happen. He talks about the earth giving way and the earth changing. He's talking about some kind of cataclysmic event that sends the whole world reeling in anguish. I mean, look at the way he describes it here. He says, though the mountains be moved into the Part of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. He's talking here about cataclysmic changes that affect the whole world around us. Symbolically, the mountains sliding into the sea, the waters foaming as in some kind of anger, the mountains quaking. This could include natural disasters, it could include financial collapse, it could include war, it could include anything around us where the world as we currently know it seems to be disintegrating. In verse 4 he pictures Jerusalem being attacked and surrounded and being attacked in the morning. The morning hours back then is when so many of the attacks would happen. In verse 6 he talks about the nations raging. So again this is a psalm that addresses the very worst circumstances of life. The worst thing that could happen to a person or a society. The very worst. It's the kind of thing, for instance, that Luther faced. On the one hand, Luther's own health was failing. On the other hand, he was fighting for the reformation of the church. And then he looked in still another direction and he saw the results of the Black Plague. And everybody around him dying. I mean, every direction that Martin Luther turned, it seemed like everything was bad and getting worse And like he didn't know what to do. And that's the kind of situation the psalmist is talking about. Despair. And it's at a time like that that we learn what? That we don't have to fear. Now folks, fortunately, I mean if we're honest with ourselves, we would admit That most of life is good, isn't it? Most of us, fortunately, aren't like Job. Most of us aren't experiencing the kinds of things every day that Martin Luther was experiencing. I mean, for the most part, it's like what the Bible talks about. We are recipients of God's common grace. He makes His sun to shine on us and His rain to fall on us. Most of life, most of the time, is good. And we can be thankful for that. But then there are times when life gets really, really bad. But whether it is a a creek that is trickling or a raging river that is trickling, the bad circumstances in our life, notice again what he says here, we will not fear. Again, folks, it goes back to verse 1. It's all because of verse 1, because God is our refuge and strength, a present help in time of trouble. 
It's the same kind of thing that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, beginning in verse 31, Paul says, what, we, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Rhetorical question. If God is for us, certainly there is nothing or no one that can ultimately be against us. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? Christ could, but what has Christ done instead? He says, it's Christ that has died, been buried, and raised again. And today he's before the right hand of the Father. And he's making intercession for us. And so the one that could condemn us and judge us instead is the one who died for our sin. And today he's before the Father and he's praying for us. He closes that chapter by saying, Indeed, there is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, when we look at things from that standpoint of view, when we see that God is ultimately for His children, and again, it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through earthly troubles like everybody else does, but it's saying that God is there with us, and ultimately, through Jesus Christ, God's people have the victory. Now, don't say amen to that. If you don't know Christ, you see, this is a promise that is for God's children. If you don't know God through Christ, then brother, you're pretty much on your own. But if you've been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, you are promised that God is your refuge, your strength, your present help in time of trouble. And as you go through life, facing all the trials and tribulations of life, you can know that you are not alone. God is with you. And ultimately, He's going to bring you out the other side. That's an assurance that you can have. Notice in verse 7. He tells why. He says, because the Lord of hosts is with us. Now folks, think of that name, Lord of hosts, with me for a moment. You know, in the, in the Bible, in the Bible there were different times that, that God's people would go through. They would have some kind of experience with God and they would give God a new name. I think of Genesis 22 when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac and God told him to stop and God had provided the ram in the thicket instead. Remember what Abraham named that place. He said, this is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. It was common that God's people would give God a new name when they went through some kind of experience with God. Well, when the children of Israel were going into the promised land and God was helping them conquer the land, what's the name that they gave to God they gave God the name the Lord of hosts it's it's the battle name for God the fact that God goes before his people God commands the whole heavenly host all the angels 
The Lord of hosts. It's the battle name for God. It's that name for God that we find in 2 Kings chapter 6. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago about Elisha. Remember Elisha? The Syrians, not the Assyrians, but the Syrians just to the north of Israel. They were coming out in battle against Israel. And every time the Syrians went to do something against Israel, Israel knew about it ahead of time. And the, the, uh, the Syrian king got frustrated, Benadad, and he said, I want to know who the traitor in my army is. Because every time I make a move against Israel, they stop, they know what I'm going to do ahead of time. And, and his troops said to him, they said, oh king, it's not that we're a traitor, but you need to understand something. There is a prophet down in Israel, and the things that you whisper in your bedroom, he shouts into the ear of the king of Israel. Well, he said, well, then we need to go down and capture that prophet then. They went down to Dothan. They circled the house where Elisha was. The next morning, Elisha's servant went out and he saw all the troops and all the chariots of Benadad. And he went back in and he was scared and he said, Master, they're here to get us. And Elisha said, don't worry, there are more with us than are with them. Well, the servant went back to the door and looked out and he thought, hmm, I don't see anybody. What are you talking about? And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the servant went and looked again. And all the heavenly hosts of God were there. And Benadad's troops were defeated. They were struck with blindness. The Lord of hosts. And that's what he's saying here. The Lord of hosts is with us. God is with us. You can take a pen and you can draw a straight line from Psalm 46 all the way over to Matthew chapter 1. When the angel appeared to Mary and Joseph, they said, You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. Amen? That's where our security is. That's where our security is. It's not in the things of this world. Folks, we need to to get that firmly into our minds and our hearts. This world does not contain any kind of ultimate security for you and me. Even though we are God's children. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That is no guarantee that you're not going to experience the same kinds of trials and tribulations that everybody else is going to go through but nonetheless you can know that the Lord of hosts is with you the God of Jacob is with you and he's a fortress he's a refuge he will be your strength and he will be your present help in time of trouble that's where our security is in knowing Christ And knowing that my life is hidden with Christ in God. I am in Him and He is in me. I belong to Him. And one of these days, eventually, He's going to share that resurrection victory with me. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. 
Now, third thing I want you to see with me today is a grand invitation. Look beginning in verse 8. He says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We're right back to where we started in this psalm. The reader is called upon to study and reflect on God's attributes and God's actions. Focus on God. Notice the distinctiveness of this invitation. What do we do when we experience something bad or hear something bad or painful? We immediately focus on whatever it is that has disturbed our peace and tranquility. But again, the invitation here is focus on God instead of focusing on the problem. Focus on God. Get a fresh glimpse of God. Take a look again at what He's done in the past. He says here how He has brought desolations on the earth. We see how God's acted in the past. It gives us assurance of how he's going to act in the present, in the future. And then he comes to verse 10. Look at what he says in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Folks, we easily misunderstand this verse. He is not calling on us to simply sit back. And have a devotion in the morning before we get our day started. That's important. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying be still. Cease striving. Back off. Wait on God. Trust in Him. In fact... It's a command that is both a promise and a warning for God's children. It's a promise to his enemies. It's a warning to his his children. It's a promise. What God is saying is, whatever it is keeping you awake at night, whatever has you wringing your hands and laying awake at night and fretting and worrying, stop it. Cut it out. Know that He is God. It's the same kind of thing Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25 when He said, Stop worrying. Don't you believe that the God who created your life, which is the greater thing, is able to give you the necessities of your life, which is the lesser thing? If God did the greater, don't you think God can do the lesser? And so what you need to do, Jesus said, Stop worrying about what you're going to put on, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, the common necessities of life trust God he's saying that here cease your worrying cease your fretting you lay awake at night and you're planning this and planning this and oh I got to do this here and this here and this here and I got to do this and I got to handle this situation this way he's saying here first of all as God's children just 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 stop be still Now to the enemies of God who were coming against Israel, he's saying, stop where you are, cease, back off, 
hands off. Why? Because I will be exalted among the nations and these are my people. And so it's a warning to the enemies. And so either way, it's more than just quiet reflection. It includes that, but it's more than that. It is an invitation to marvel at God. And then I want you to notice how he closes. He closes by saying again, the Lord of hosts is with us. Look at what he adds to that. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's interesting, isn't it? The God of Jacob. God is not ashamed to be called the God of Jacob. You know, you would think it would say here, the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the God of David. But it says the God of Jacob. Have you ever read the story? His name, Jacob, literally means heel grabber. It means trickster. It means deceiver. He stole his brother's blessing, his birthright. He took off running. He went down to Laban's house. Laban pulled a little trickery of his own on the trickster, didn't he? And then... uh, Jacob gathered up everything and he fled and he was going back to Israel and he was worried now about his brother Esau. How's Esau going to receive him? And he heard Esau was coming out to meet him with all of Esau's people with him. And he was scared to death. I mean, here's Laban, Laban's sons pressing in on him to get some of their stuff back. Here's here's, uh, Esau coming out to meet him. And he meets with God at the ford of the, the, Jabbok, the Jabbok River one night. And he wrestles with God. And you remember what happened there. Jacob became a changed man. God gave him a new name. Instead of Jacob, what's the name that God gave to him? God gave him the name Israel. Which means prince with God. And so Jacob went from being the heel grabber, the trickster, the deceiver, to being the one who is a prince with God. And it's his twelve sons that became the basis of the twelve tribes of Israel. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure I follow. What are you getting at? By saying the God of Jacob is our fortress. It encourages me that if God can do what He did in the life of somebody like Jacob, a trickster deceiver made him the prince of God, made him the basis of of this new nation that he was going to build. If God did that through Jacob's life, that says something to you and me about what God What God can do with a man like me or a man or a woman like you. He can take us, warts and all. And all the speed bumps and the mountaintops and the valleys and the curves that you and I go through in our life. All the imperfections that we possess. God can transform us by His grace. And God can work in and through our lives also. 
I'm glad God identifies himself as the God of Jacob. Aren't you? He's the God that can bring wonderful things out of other things that people would look at and say there's no way. There's no way. And so again, the invitation is, the grand invitation is to be still and know that He is God. Focus on God's identity, His attributes, His personhood, His nature, who He is. God is perfectly good, all-powerful, all-knowing. He is the all-wise God who can do nothing but good regardless of how we might see the world falling apart at times. History is His story. Though everything may seem to be falling apart in the world around us or our nation or our circumstances... He's the all-wise God. We need to look to Him, get a fresh glimpse of Him so that we won't fear. Because as we look around at the way things are, if we didn't have faith that God is in control, we could fear. But knowing who He is, we don't have to fear. Instead, be still. And know that He's God. What about you? Do you need to do that this morning? Do your eyes and affections need to be on God? Maybe you're going through something in in your life right now or your family. You feel basically just like a Martin Luther or Hezekiah. Maybe you're turning this direction and this direction and this direction and this direction. Every direction you're looking around yourself in your life. You're like, wow. Why is is all this happening to me now the way it's happening? Maybe you're in some kind of valley. You just feel like your world is falling apart. Maybe you feel like life hasn't been especially kind to you of recent days. Focus on God. Some people get angry with God and they say, Pastor, you know what I'm going to do? I've served God in vain. I'm just going to go out and do what I want to do now. What's Peter say about that? In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will do two things. First of all, Entrust their souls to a faithful creator. And number two, keep on doing right. You see, there are some things we don't understand. We don't see tomorrow, but he does. And if we know that he's a good God... Regardless of the bad you might be going through right now. If you know he's a good God and all he can do is good. He cannot do evil. Entrust yourself to him even when you don't see the outcome. And keep serving him. 
and keep glorifying Him. He's worthy. Focus on Him so that He will become your security. Everything you have in the bank account, everything you have, you think going for you right now, guess what? Something could happen. There is no security in the world. That's why Jesus said we need to lay up our treasures in heaven. But if you have the right focus, your security is in Him, you don't have to fear. Today, maybe there's something you're striving and fretting and worrying over. You can't even sleep at night because of it. And maybe you need to hear what he's saying here in verse 10. Just be still and know that he is God. Perhaps there's something right now that you just need to put into his hands and say, God, I can't take care of this, but you can. And I'm going to do what verse 10 says. I'm going to to back off. I'm going to cease. And I'm going to trust you. Is there something like that right now in your life? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that for all the mountains and all the valleys of life and everything in between, you are more than sufficient. Lord, we know that this world is not always kind to Christians. It's not always kind and benevolent. But God, you are, even when it's a valley we walk through. May we get a fresh glimpse of you as we're down low in that valley. Lord, help our eyes to look up to you. Lord, give us the strength that we need. There's somebody here perhaps who feels like they're at the end of their strength. God, be their source of strength. Be their refuge and their hiding place. Lord, for that one who doesn't know you, may your Holy Spirit convict their hearts that that they can't, They can't stand upon verses like this that promise your watch care over your children. And as long as they are outside of your fold, they can't look to this passage. Lord, use this passage to draw them to yourself. That it can apply to them. Lord, be there for your people. Everything they need, supply the need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.